It was a number of years ago. It was in a small rural area of East Texas. Visiting preacher had gone to preach at a small country church. And one of the members, a local farmer, had invited him home for lunch that day. And they ate and enjoyed a wonderful lunch. And sitting out on the front porch in the afternoon, preacher and the farmer sitting there on the porch talking and visiting. And suddenly a rooster jumped up on a fence post and started just crowing. Preacher said, you know, that rooster seems mighty proud, doesn't he? Farmer said, well, he ought to be if he had three sons enter the ministry today. Now, there's not many cities where you will suddenly hear the crowing of a rooster. And it's especially in the heart of the downtown area. If you're staying at the Adolphus Hotel in Dallas, or if you're at one of the major hotels in Houston or Austin, or if you're in Times Square or Hollywood and Vine or on Pennsylvania Avenue, the sound of a rooster crowing is not something you're likely to hear. Yet I am told to this very day, you can still hear the sound of a rooster crowing in Jerusalem. You see, folks, Jerusalem is different. I once read of someone who was visiting Jerusalem. They were enjoying the quiet and the serenity of their hotel room. And suddenly the silence was broken. It was pierced by the shrill crowing of a rooster. That individual that I was reading of said that they immediately thought of someone. They thought of a man by the name of Peter. Because you see, there was a morning that Peter heard the rooster crow. And that rooster trumpeting the dawn that morning for Peter, it opened the floodgates of his memory. When you think about that, what could that sound even do for others in our own day and time? What would the sound of a rooster crowing do for some lonely, homesick young man or woman in one of our great cities? What if in one of our great cities like Houston or Dallas or Los Angeles or New York City, some homesick, lonely young man or woman suddenly heard the trumpet of the dawn? They heard that familiar bugler of the barnyard and they would suddenly be transported to the piney woods of East Texas or the red clay hills of Georgia. The God of heaven. God has a hundred different ways of plugging at, plucking at a man or a woman's coat sleeve. And He nudges some, and others He taps on the shoulder. To some it comes in music, to others it comes in a picture, and to still others it might come in a story or a chance meeting on the street. But familiar sights and sounds can suddenly bring memories flooding back into our hearts. Memories that can make folks clean again. Memories that can accuse us.
To some, it's music or a song, and to others, it's the picture of the face of a friend. Simon Peter's floodgates of memory were opened by the crowing of a rooster early in the morning. That sent memories flooding through the soul of this man. Simon had seen the last flickering torch disappear around the turn in the path that wound down the hill out of the Garden of Gethsemane. Once in a while he could see the procession as the torches flickered through the trees like giant fireflies. But the murmur of the voices died away. The sound of the crackling twigs and the stones being dislodged ceased. And finally the reality swept over Simon that his master had at last been captured. Jesus was marching away to die. And the icy fear that was now gripping his heart was a startling contrast to the courage he'd felt just a few moments earlier. The flaming courage that had caused him to draw his short sword and lop off the ear of Malchus. But this Simon was a different Simon. He realized he'd blundered and he'd been rebuked. And he was disappointed and he was humbled. And he was puzzled. And he could not understand the submission of Jesus. He could not understand why Jesus had permitted Himself to be captured. He could not comprehend why Jesus had permitted Him to bind His hands. Why He had been allowed to let them march Him off as a butcher would lead an animal to the slaughter. But Peter was conscious of something now. He was conscious that he stood alone in a deserted garden. Can you see him? There he is. Blindly stumbling down the trail. He pays no attention to the twigs that lash his face, the briars that tear at his robes. Instinctively, he's trying to catch up with the others. And so Simon stumbles on down the hill. But he's anxious because he doesn't want to get too close. And he follows them to the foot of the Mount of Olives. And he follows them across the brook Kidron. And he goes back up the hill to old Jerusalem. It's still asleep. It's still quiet. The procession that Jesus was in made its way first to the house of Annas. And they escorted Jesus inside. The heavy door closed behind them. It creaked just a little bit. Peter approached timidly and he found John standing there. John persuaded the girl at the door to let them in. And as they walked past her, she looked at Peter closely and she said, Art not thou one of this man's disciples? 
Jesus said, I am not. It's in John 18 and verse 17. Why would she ask him that? What prompted her to ask Simon that question, we'll never know. Maybe she felt she could talk to him. Maybe she felt sorry for him. She could see the wounded look on his face, the hurt, the pain that was in his eyes. Maybe she saw Jesus as they led him away. And maybe seeing Jesus led away, she felt an irresistible attraction to the Galilean. It could be. In that brief moment, as Simon and John crowded past her, as Jesus looked at her, it may have been then that something happened within her own heart. And maybe she wanted to ask Simon a little bit more about Jesus. Had he acknowledged Jesus, she might have asked him about the voice of Jesus. Is his voice low and Sweet, is it a vibrant, booming voice? Tell me about the miracles. Tell me about the things I've heard that He's done. How do you know that He is the Messiah? Are you really sure? This idea of salvation that He speaks of, this concept that we can live forever, tell me about that. Those might have been questions she wanted answers to. Those might have been questions that would have come in a tumbling torrent from her lips, but we'll never know. Because whatever she meant by that question, whatever her motive was in asking, Simon denied his Lord. And we wonder about his memory at that point. We can only stand and wonder and Ask, have the strain of the events and the shock of the past 24 hours, have they totally destroyed his memory? We want to look at him and we want to say, Simon, Simon, surely you remember when he called you. We want to grab him by the shoulders and shake him and say, Simon, don't you remember? You and Andrew were folding the nets and his shadow fell across you as you worked. And you remember his beckoning finger. The look in his eyes, the light in his eyes, and he said, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. You remember the wedding, don't you? When you all were invited to the wedding in Cana of Galilee and they ran out of wine, and Jesus took the water pots filled with water and he changed that into wine. Surely you recall the music of his laughter. What about that Samaritan woman that he was with there at Jacob's well? You must remember that incident, Simon. Jesus is brought from Annas to Caiaphas. The soldiers and the temple guards are mingling in the courtyard with the servants. The night is cold. They've kindled a fire. There's Peter. See Peter as he joins himself to the group, as he warms his hands that cold night over that open fire. He's glad to be there. He's glad he can join the hangers on there around that blaze. The morning air has got a bit of a sharp bite to it. And Peter found himself chilled and shivering. Listen. 
Can you hear it? Can you hear the coarse laughter that greets every joke that's told around that fire? As they laugh about the things that people laugh about and they talk about the things that people talk about. The new dancing girl over in Herod's court. The ability and the skill of the drivers of the chariots. The gambling losses that some of their friends have suffered. The latest news that's come in from Rome. Peter's in a day. Simon's not paying much attention to the conversation. Then one of the soldiers eyes him, nudges him and said, Thou art also of them. And for the second time, Peter says, Man, I am not. It's in John 18, verse 25. And you read that, don't you? And you read that and you want to look at Simon and you want to shake him again and you want to shout, Simon, surely you must remember. Maybe you're just afraid. Simon's brave heart has turned to water. Surely he hasn't forgotten. He hasn't forgotten the times that Jesus crossed the lake in boats just like his. Surely he remembers the night that Jesus came walking on the water and Simon tried it and his faith gave way and he went swimming. Has his courage left him again? For the next hour or so, as the events unfold, they merely wait. And they wonder what's taking so long. They're unaware of what's happening, that they're having difficulty getting the witnesses to all agree. They didn't know that sleepless men with raw and irritated tempers were trying to find some reason that they could give to Pilate to justify their demands for the death of Jesus. After a while, a soldier who had come out of the palace joined the group. And as he greeted his friends in the circle, he shook hands with them. They laughed a little bit. His eyes fell on Peter. He looked him over. Very carefully, he scrutinized Peter. And he said, didn't I see you in the garden with him? One of his friends joined in and said, yeah, he's one of the Galileans. Listen to his accent. Listen to him talk. That's when it happened. That's when Peter began to curse. He began to swear. And he said, I know not the man. Peter used language that night he hadn't used for years. He used language that was vile. Language that was so vile the soldiers were shocked. And they looked at him in amazement. And they didn't appear to notice the shuffling of feet as the soldiers led Jesus from Caiaphas over to Pilate. Maybe they didn't make much noise. Maybe they were tired. They were worn out from the arguing and they were quiet. And suddenly this group standing around the fire was silent also. Shocked at the vehemence. Shocked at the profanity of Peter's denial. 
It was a torrent of foulness that came spewing out of Peter's mouth. But it was his face that probably startled them. A livid, distorted, a face with eyes blazing and mouth snarling like a cornered animal. It wouldn't have been a pleasant sight. And they kept quiet. And the silence was so intense. That the crowing of a cock on a distant hill sounded like a bugle call. And hearing that sound, immediately Simon remembered the prophecy of Jesus. Jesus had said, Simon, before the cock crows twice, you'll deny me thrice. And like the waves of the ocean sweeping over the sands of the beach, the realization of what he had done swept over Simon. And suddenly he remembered. He remembered what Jesus said. And I can by an eye of faith this morning see Simon turned away, turn away as hot tears came streaming down his face. And through that mist of tears, he saw ahead of him the stairway that led to Pilate's palace. And just as that moment, Jesus was being led up the stairs. Jesus had heard. Jesus had heard every hot, swearing word that came out of Simon's mouth. He had heard the blistering denial, the foul fisherman's oath. Jesus heard it all. And I can see Jesus pause on the stairs. I can see Him as He leans over the railing. He looks into Peter's eyes, into his very soul. And at that awful moment, their eyes met. And through His tears that night, everything else was a blur to Peter. But that one face... The face of Jesus shone through the tears. That lovely face. Those eyes, sad and reproachful. Tender, as if they understood and forgave. Oh, how well Simon knew Him. And oh, how much Simon loved Him. For that terrible moment, for Simon, the world seemed to stand still. Simon looked into the face of the man that he had denied. We'll never know what happened, what passed between them in that moment. It was as if Jesus seemed to say what He had said before. I've prayed for you, Simon. He said to Simon that night as they ate the Passover, Simon, Satan hath... Desired to have thee, but I've prayed for you. Simon's tears are now overflowing and running down his cheeks. They're hot and they're scalding. That strong fisherman's frame is shaking with great sobs. And he turns and he runs out into the cool morning air with his hot and burning cheeks.
Can you see Simon with his heart pounding in his breast? And while he's running, while he's fleeing, Jesus is walking to meet the Roman governor. Something died that night in the heart of Simon. Something was killed that night in the heart of Simon. And that's why his heart was broken. You see, folks, what was killed that night was the Simon inside him. The old, arrogant, boasting bravado of Simon. The cocksure confidence of a strong fisherman. The impetuous stubbornness and impulsive thoughtlessness of Simon died in that moment when he came face to face with Jesus. Simon had ceased to exist. And Peter was being born. Simon was about to be eclipsed by Peter. Nothing more is heard of him for two days. Jesus has been crucified. The hammer blows still seem to be re-echoing through the countryside. In the heart of Peter, he feels the thud of the hammer. He hears the screaming of the impenitent thief that's crucified beside Jesus. You see, we've got to follow this man a little further. It's not fair to leave him as a sinner. It's not fair to leave him as a swearing traitor. It's not fair to leave him as a fugitive from the heart of love. The apprentice apostle is still in the making. And he's running true to form. Remember, that night of the, of the betrayal, Jesus spoke a personal word of warning to Simon. He said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have thee as he might sift you as wheat. And those words had come true. But Peter also remembered what Jesus added. But I've prayed for you that your faith does not fail. Jesus had prayed that Peter's faith wouldn't fail. And that prayer must be, that prayer would be answered. But how? Would Jesus ever trust him again? And then what about the others? What would the others think of Jesus? Jesus had actually said even more. In Luke 22, verse 32, we read, And when thou art converted... That is, Simon, when you're turned around, when you've got new bearings, when you turn your face once more toward Me, strengthen thy brethren. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Black Saturday had passed. And a new day had dawned. A new week. A new age. And there came the story gasped out by breathless women who came running from the tomb. And then a race with John and the discovery of the empty grave. And then that strange tale of the two disciples who came back from Emmaus. Something had happened. Life could never be the same again. The dead had come to life. The Jesus that had been crucified on Calvary's hill was alive. And yet, 
Simon could only nurse his deep and bitter shame. He was a changed man, to be sure. But he was still smarting with the searing of the iron that had eaten down into his soul. And there came a night that he said, I'm going fishing. And they went back to their boats and they went back to their nets and they worked hard all night in comparative silence. They were coming toward the shore empty, discouraged and sad. And they saw in the early light of morning someone standing on the beach. The sea was calm, quiet as a mill pond. And the light, the early morning mist was clinging to the surface of the water. And they saw the flames leaping up from the fire on the shore. And there was a mysterious figure standing there by that fire on the beach, waiting for their boat to get closer. And John looked, and John said, It's the Lord! That was enough for Simon. He jumped in the water. He started swimming. Here was an opportunity he had been longing for. He started swimming. He started waiting. He wanted this. He wanted a chance again to tell the Lord that he loved Him. And he wanted to show how well he knew Him. So, there comes then on the shoreline that day the loveliest record of God ever dealing with a penitent sinner. For each of the three denials, Jesus asked Simon for a pledge of love. Three times He asked the question, Simon, lovest thou me? Three times Simon answered, Yes, Lord, I love you. And Jesus said, Feed my lambs, feed my sheep. And when he had spoken this, he said unto him, it's in John 21, Follow me. The next time we see Simon, he's not Simon anymore. He's Peter. He's the rock. You recall when Jesus first met him, when Andrew brought him to Jesus, he said, Thou art Simon. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which being interpreted is a stone. And the next time we see Simon, he's not Simon. He's Peter. He's fearless. He's eloquent. He has fire in his eyes. His voice is vibrant with conviction. It's melodious with the good news of Jesus. His own will is gone. and The will of Jesus has taken its place because it's Pentecost in Jerusalem. And Peter stands up boldly and he preaches the gospel of the crucified and risen Lord. And it's not Simon preaching that day. It's Peter. The same Jesus that called Simon and made him Peter is the Jesus that will change us from Simon to Peter. He's the same Jesus that can change us into a rock-like figure. But for Jesus to change our lives, we have to submit our stubborn will to His will. For Jesus Christ to change our lives, 
We've got to make Him the Lord and Master of all of our lives. It's His invitation as we stand Him while we sing.